This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha Ann Simons. When I'm not guest hosting Reset, I spend a lot of time reporting on Indiana and Northwest Indiana in particular. That's how I heard of the new book, Secret Northwest Indiana, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. It's a cross between a history book and travel guide focusing on the strangest and most interesting destinations you probably never heard of. The book answers burning questions like, why is there a Scottish castle in Rust Belt, Indiana? Heck, I didn't even know that. We're joined now by the author, Joseph Pete. Joseph is also the business reporter at the Northwest Indiana Times. Hey, Joseph, welcome to Reset. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mike. Now, Joseph, I know you're very busy writing stories, a big a business stories in Northwest Indiana. So this book seems like a huge undertaking. Why did you decide to write it? Oh, absolutely. I had written a history book about uh, called Lost Hammond, about kind of the history of Hammond and industry kind of spilling over from Chicago into northwest Indiana, like the slaughterhouses um, spilled over from um, Armour Square and everything, and kind of uh, charged the de- industrial development of this area, leading to steel mills and refineries and so forth. And then I ended up writing, a, my second book was like a travelogue, like 100 Things to Do in Northwest Indiana by uh, Reedy Press out of St. Louis. And it was kind of kind of... There had been a Chicago Tribune reporter that wrote a Native's Guide to Northwest Indiana about 20 years ago, which was a book I really loved that really kind of, you know, captured the breadth and depth of the area. But it, there hadn't been a more kind of contemporary travel guide to Northwest Indiana written since then. So I kind of set out to find a publisher to do something with that. And then um, I wrote that book. And then this book, the same publisher, Reedy Press, had asked me to do a follow-up for another kind of book in their series, which is the secret series. They have, like, there's a secret Chicago, a secret Indianapolis, a secret Cleveland. They have these books for cities like all over the country, and they asked me to do a follow-up to the Travel Guide one. And this one just kind of, as you mentioned, kind of combines the two of like um, historical figures, um, historical figures like Octave Chanute and um, Bell Guinness and John Dillinger and so mm-hmm. forth with uh, places where people can kind of go to learn more um, about them and just kind of off the beaten path history, like shipwrecks under Lake Michigan, submarine right. experiments in Lake Michigan, um, Okay. Olympic ski jumps, things of that nature, uh, the Nike missile silos that had right. defended uh, Chicago and the steel mills. Well, um, let's talk about a, a few of the specifics that's from your book that sort of grabbed my attention first. We have to answer the question we posed at the top. Why is there a Scottish castle in Rust Belt, Indiana? Oh, absolutely. There was a figure, it was very much like Sears, Joseph Myers. He was of uh, German descent. He came here from Wisconsin. But he founded the um, Indiana Botanic Gardens, which was this massive national mail order um, catalog that specialized in medicinal herbs. They grew they grew a lot of the herbs right on the banks of the Little Calumet River in Hammond, and what today is like a haunted house. But it was a big um, mansionary basis operations at the time, and they put out all these publications like the um, the Herbalist Almanac and um, the Herbalist and things of that nature. And they built a following in that way, and they served a lot of like the rural areas around the country where people didn't have as much access to doctors, and they kind of folksy kind of homespun cures appealed to them, things like St. John Works and, you know, ginseng and things of that nature. And they, um, you know, they sold herbs all over the country. And he, he was one of the Northwest Indiana's first millionaires. He built a vast fortune, and he ended up building a massive um, 28-room Scottish castle um, in uh, Dyer, which at the, is now pretty well suburbanized, but at the ah. time was like pretty much the edge of uh, civilization. And um, he had seen a castle that really impressed him when he was traveling in uh, Scotland, and he asked an architect to kind of basically replicate it. Um, 
here, and it's just very, it's an extremely eccentric property. You have like replicas of Eastern Iron Eastern East, uh, Easter Island heads, um, replicas of like the Venus de Milo. Um, like the garden is filled with like alligator statues poking out of tall grass. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, driving up to it, it looks straight out of something like the Edward Gorey introductions that PBS show with gargoyles like looming over the front gate and wrought iron street lamps. And it's just this massive um, Scottish castle just in the middle of a suburban area. His estate had been so large when he died, um, they subdivided it. And it's now like uh, the the surrounding areas, it's like a 300 um, uh, 300 house subdivision, uh, the castle subdivision around it. Yeah, okay. All right, so I guess this was fall into the category of weird, maybe wonderful. Now, we all know that New York City has the big drop of the ball on uh, New Year's Eve, but there's a place in Indiana, northwest Indiana, that has a pierogi drop on New Year's Eve. Can you tell us about that? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, there's a tradition around the country where you have a lot of the, uh, a lot of places do the spinoff of New York where you have a crunch drop in Key West or the peach drop in Atlanta or a disco ball drop in Baltimore, things of that nature. And um, in Whiting, they do, um, just right by the um, the border of uh, Hammond in Chicago, they have a um, pierogi drop every year. It kind of plays off the popular pierogi fest that's coming up next weekend where, you know, they celebrate the area's kind of like Polish and Eastern European heritage and the the pierogi, um, the Polish, the popular Polish dumpling, and they take a um, styrofoam pierogi that's uh, a styrofoam pierogi. They raise it up on a um, crane about anywhere from 60 to 100 feet, depending on how big a crane they can get that year. And they get, you know, it, it's it's winter just by like Michigan and Northwest Indiana, so it's pretty. Depending on how cold it's, it gets, it can get pretty cold. That you know, they'll get like a couple hundred, uh, sometimes a couple thousand if the weather's nice enough. You know, revelers outside. There's a beer garden at the nearby Knights of Columbus. But at the stroke of midnight, they drop the pierogi into a giant uh, pot. It's just kind of meant to be ridiculous. Uh, a lot of the Chicago TV stations have been picking it up. It was there again um, last year. But it's just kind of a very unique um, celebration playing off of the area's um, uh, Polish heritage. It's kind of trying to definitely capitalize off the popularity of pierogi fest because that draws hundreds of thousands of people sure. to to downtown Whiting, it's one of the biggest uh, festivals in the Midwest, and it's just very, uh, you know, very unique. Well, the Indiana Dunes National Park is one spot that many Chicago listeners are probably familiar with, but in your book, you feature activities around the dunes people may not have ever heard of before. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Oh, absolutely. Yes, um, I tried to really focus on some of the off-the-beaten past stuff off the dunes. You know, growing up in this area, you visit the dunes a lot on field trips, go to the beach a lot. But there's there's so much more to the um, dunes. It stretches over, like, more than two dozen different sites, including, like, historic sites, um, like the 19, uh, 19, or 1933 Chicago World's Fair homes or perched in, on a bluff over Lake Michigan and Beverly Shores, um, things of that nature. But some of the more interesting stuff is the Bailey Homestead at the Indiana Dunes National Park. It's a preservation of one of the first settlements of um, the first settlements of uh, that brought European settlers to the region. It's one of the last uh, extant remnants of the fur trade. There was the um, Swedish settler Joseph Bailey, who um, played a big role in the devel- early development of the Calumet region. He set up on the um, the Sauk Village Trail, which kind of linked Chicago to Detroit during the 19th century, and built. Um, he, he, he built a settlement by the Little Calumet River, and most of the homes are pretty well preserved. And I would highly recommend that people take one of the tours. The park rangers will lead people on tours of the area. 
It borders the um, Chelber, or it borders the Chelberg Farm, which is kind of a working farm where you can see, um, you know, farm animals and things of that nature. And there's a lot of cultural programming they have throughout the year. Um, you can visit the um, the Bailey Cemetery, which is a family cemetery where a lot of the um, the, the early settlers had uh, buried. And they have an annual Midsummer Festival. It's kind of been called off because of the pandemic, but they, you know, they celebrate. It's the annual Swedish festival where they raise the the maypole and dance around it and uh, things of that nature. Sure. And then there is um, the Pinhook Bog is another unique attraction. They recently opened that up to tours. It's a very very cool um, spot where it's uh, it, it, it's it's only partly accessible most of the year. Part of it is so um, ecologically sensitive that they you, you can only kind of visit it during ranger-led uh, tours during a couple weekends out of the year. But it's uh, it, it's one of the more interesting. When I was researching the book, I went out there several times to take photos and just kind of observe and that kind of thing. And I was usually the only car in the parking lot. But it was forged by like a glacier, you know, more than fifteen thousand years ago, and it's just a very unique. Um, a very unique ecosystem. You have the big attraction for the guided tours, or they have a lot of carnivorous plants where it's uh, pitcher plants and sundew plants and plants of that nature, and also just many very rare orchids like pink ladies, slipper orchids. The Indiana Dunes actually has more. It's very one of the most biodiverse areas in the United States. It has more orchids than in state, or uh, types, anyways, and it's not uh, in the whole, but more than the state of Hawaii. And it's, that's one of the areas where it's, you can just definitely see the biodiversity on full display sure. because it's, uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there, but there is a trail you can visit, um, throughout the year without, uh, having to guide it. There's the upland tour where it's kind of a 2.1 mile hike. You get to see the, the bogs and the peat floating in the water and just the unique wooded, um, area. And then there's also, um, there's also the Indiana Dunes Burning Festival is a unique thing you can check out at the um, every May of the Indiana Dunes. It started. It's really t- t- taken off over the last right. few years. It's drawing people from across the sure. country. You see signs at the Welcome Center and the hotels. But there's more than 350 species of birds that live in the dunes, All and right. it's a huge spot for. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. I'm on the line with Joseph Pete, a business reporter with the Times of Northwest Indiana. We're talking about his new book, Secret Northwest Indiana, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. Uh, one place I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is uh, you investigated shipwrecks. Uh, you know, where are there shipwrecks in Northwest Indiana? Oh, absolutely. There, well, there are uh, tons of shipwrecks from the 19th century, but there are two that are like uh, two prominent ones that are in preserves that are right off, that they're not very far off the shoreline where people can um, easily visit with scuba gear. Um, there's one at the Indiana Dunes uh, State Park, uh, the J.D. Marshall, and you can all if you're if you're not if you're not um, adventurous enough to kind of go scuba dive to see it they, at the Interpretive Center, they have a lot of the um, you know you can go see the. Uh, the anchor and the, um, a lot of the recovered debris from the ship, but it's uh, it, it's uh, not far off of the um, not far off of the lake. And then in uh, Michigan City, um, they also have uh, they're looking at establishing a shipwreck preserve there at Indiana University. There is the SS McKeegan. The J.D. Marshall one had kind of been tragic. There was losses like some sailors when it uh, turned turtle and you know flipped. But the SS McKeegan was kind of more of a funny story because it had caught in fire and it had just been sitting there in the harbor for forever and people got sick of uh, looking at the burnout hole. So they just dragged it a little bit further into Lake Michigan and uh, sunk it. But that's like right there too. 
and it's uh, they're in the process of making it into an underwater nature preserve where it's um, you know it's going to be marked by boys and that type of thing, and people can um, you know go just a little bit off of the shore. Um, that that one's near Washington Park in uh, Michigan City, and you can go just a little bit off the shore and kind of scuba dive and see um, the remains. A lot of it had been you know scavengers had really targeted a lot of that uh, stuff during the 80s, but the preservation efforts have been really good since then, and a lot of the wreckage on uh, uh, both those ship tracks is pretty well preserved in Chesterton and Michigan City. Well, Joseph, it's Friday. It's the middle of summer. If someone is listening right now, wants to go on a uh, a day trip to Northwest Indiana this weekend, where do you think they should go? Oh, um, this weekend, uh, well, next weekend would definitely be the big one. You have Pierogi Fest, uh, St. Salva Surf Fest. Uh, there's uh, the German... Um, uh, there's a German beer garden at Sunset Hill Farms, Laporte Lake Fest with the Venetian Boat Parade. But um, there is a lot of cool new stuff to check out this weekend. Um, two things that really jump out. They just had a land acknowledgement ceremony for the new um, Indigenous Cultural Trail. They opened at the Indiana Dunes. You can go to the Indiana Dunes Welcome Center. And the trail is still under development. They have, like, an interpretive center, boardwalks, and, like, uh, a kettle for fires that they're still planning on building. But they put out a lot of the signage and they're putting in um, an indigenous um, uh, tree trail where a lot of it's, a lot of the tree species and so forth are already marked. Um, that's right by the Welcome Center just off of State Road 49 off of uh, Borman. And then at the South Lake Mall, the, um, the um, IUN had recently just opened a, uh, a pop-up kind of mini-museum and art center there that's going to be, um, it's going to be there for the entire summer going into the fall. But it's uh, they have various art projects going there, um, things like uh, the art uh, mini golf that had been at the Art Institute in the 80s. They have some of those pieces there, pieces from local artists like Ish Muhammad and, um, uh, you know, various local artists and art projects people can participate in. And that's kind of a unique attraction that just opened. And then, you know, they're just um, interesting art exhibits at the Monique presents at the uh, Lubeznik Art Center, the Jan 12th Century of Beauty exhibit at the Art Barn in Valparaiso. Uh, but th- there's a lot, to, especially in the dunes, I would recommend a lot. Like try to find a pinhook bog tour or that type mm-hmm. of thing. Well, Joseph, we only got about a minute left. Um, you, This is your third book now. Do you have uh, another book uh, still Still, uh, you want to write? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm currently working on a... Um, I had written Lost Hammond, like a history... And I'm working on uh, Lost East Chicago currently. A lot of people had asked for that after I did the Lost Hammond one. And it's kind of, you know, a, your hometown, a history of, uh, um, you know, things like the Washington Park Zoo and the, uh, the downtown in the harbor and just kind of chronicling a lot of bygone institutions in the city. That's right. Well, I can't wait to read that. I want to, you know, I, I do know a lot about Northwest Indiana, but when I read your books, I often find out things that I didn't even know about. So... That, and that's the best kind of reading, right? <laughs> oh, I hope so. Yeah, no, I was, this book, I learned more about the region. I'm, I'm a native here, and I've been covering it for a decade for the Times. But I learned more about the region during this book than um, uh, doing anything else previously. Even stuff I was already familiar with, I, I just uncovered layers that I had previously been unfamiliar with, like the, the Veterans Memorial in Munster, like the sculptors who did that, did the Harry Carey sculpture at Wrigley Field, mm-hmm. the Tiger sculpture at Comerica in Detroit the Jordan sculpture and uh, United Center, things of that nature. That's just, I, I was, I visited that place like a dozen times and was unaware of kind of the pedigree of the, um, the sculptors who had uh, you kind of built it. 
Well, that's Joseph Pete, author of Secret Northwest Indiana, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. Joseph, thank you, thank you for coming on Reset. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.